1: Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm producer Rihanna Cruz.
2: And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding.
1: So, Charlie, this is going to be like a setup to a joke. Okay? You ready? <laughs> okay. Weezer, Skrillex, and Sleigh Bells all walk into a bar. What comes out?
2: <sighs> I guess the only answer is the Weezer holiday album remixed and chopped <laughs> and screwed. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Close, but no. It is this.
2: Right, that's like Weezer's Beverly Hills, but totally messed up. Yes. Like, it hits harder, the vocals are completely manipulated. That's wild. What are we listening to?
1: This is Hollywood Baby by 100 Gex, off of their new record, aptly titled 10,000 Gex.
2: (laughs) Right, because their last album was 1,000 Gex. Exactly. This is very funny. By their seventh album, we're going to be at a number that nobody can say, I feel like.
1: Are you familiar with the work of 100 Gex, Charlie? Kind
2: of casually as like a band in the world of hyper pop, I guess. But I've never been a dedicated listener. I've probably just heard like one or two songs.
1: Well, the first thing is that 100 Gex is not necessarily a band, but rather a duo. It's two people, Laura Les and Dylan Brady. Their music has been called everything from an anarchic assault on the ears from Complex (laughs) to disruptive innovators from the New York Times. And Pitchfork has referred to their music as abrasive maximalist pop.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I've always thought of their music as the sound of the internet. Tons of bleeps and bloops. Infinite genre mashup but also kind of like spawn con on the internet it's like as catchy and hooky as possible so that you're going to have to click on the thing yeah it's got it's a mashup of everything it's totally discordant but it also has lots of hooks that's what i've always thought of 100 gex
1: yeah and that's sort of the sound of their scene the hyperpop scene at large it's genre mashing it's very digital. It incorporates all of these aesthetics from emo to rap to dubstep, you know, the Weezer-Skrillex-Sleigh Bells combination that I explained <laughs> to you at the start of the episode. Yeah, yeah. So in the years since their debut album, 1000 Gex" dropped in 2019, they have become one of the biggest success stories of this genre-mashing scene known as hyper But at the same time when some people hear 100 gecks for the first time, they aren't quite sure what to make of it. Their songs are such a mashup of styles and influences and scenes, right, right. <laughs> it's hard to parse. Like, are, are they being ironic? Are they being earnest? Are they in jest? You know, are they genuine? So to try to answer that question, I wanted to do a deep dive into their latest album, 10,000 Gecks, which dropped last week. And I think you'll find that like their first album, this one is all over the map. Listen again to what we heard at the top of the episode, their song, Hollywood Baby. baby. So you listen to that. It's very poppy. Has that pop rock sheen to it. Very 90s. But if you listen to another song from the album, Billy Knows Jamie, You'll understand why 100 Gecks are so hard to categorize.
2: It sounds like if you took a Red Hot Chili Peppers MP3 that was at the lowest quality, slammed it through distortion, and then auto-tuned the entire thing... I've never heard anything quite like this, but I can see that they're still mining a lot from 90s, mid 90s, late 90s culture.
1: Yeah, it's so fascinating the way you described their music because you can't really describe it in regular terms. You kind of have to describe it as like, oh, it's this group ran through this filter with this slapped onto it and also a dash of this, you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you're watching an old CRT television <laughs> with an analog receiver and it's caught between competing stations with a lot of analog fuzz yeah. in between.
1: But that's like the beauty of 100 Gex. Their sound is so intangible and ineffable. The way I see it, I think Gex are one of the most transgressive pop duos making music right now. And yes, I said pop Yeah, because their music combines high concept pop in both skill and songwriting with genres that have been considered some of the lowest common denominators in the music world.
2: Yeah. The structure of these songs feels very pop oriented. The hooks are, as you pointed out, very catchy. The chords are familiar. The energy is kind of familiar. I think all of the discordant nature is in the production, the arrangement. All of their sound choices create this contrast between the pop sound Mm -hmm. and this soundscape, which, again, for me, feels like you just grabbed, like, 18 different playlists. Mm -hmm. You mash up all these different things that, like, usually don't fit together. It's compelling.
1: Yeah, it's like supercharging pop into all of these various unrelated scenes. The duo has repeatedly toyed with the lovely genre ska on songs like Stupid Horse. Pick it up! on a stupid
3: horse, I lost that. So I ran out through the track to get my cash back. I just gotta leave this place with a big bag. So I found-
2: Yeah, it's like no doubt era Gwen Stefani uh, took speed and uh, helium balloon and (laughs) that's what you get.
1: (laughs) So accurate. And on the same album as this lovely ska track, they also have 745 Sticky, which has a full dubstep breakdown. (laughs)
2: That's fun. Especially because the music leading into it is this almost like Devo-like 80s synth bass line. Yeah. And then this contrasting dubstep drop. There's so much influence in pop music from the world of dubstep because the dubstep drop is all about taking fragments of sound and playing them momentarily and then switching to another sound, often very harsh and intense and it's the glitching between these different unexpected timbres that is often what is so pleasurable about the music cuz the drum groove is actually very simple it's usually just a boom ta boom ta and then all around it is the boom, ta, boom ta that kind of stuff and so if you take that concept of how you make a dubstep drop when abstracted out it gives you something like 100 gex, the mm-hmm. we-can-mash-together genres that maybe usually would never fit together.
1: Right, and part of the discussion around dubstep, I feel like, in the early 2010s, was that dubstep is the worst music to ever be brought upon the music-listening populace. Like People absolutely despised dubstep and the way that it sounded, and Skrillex was like sort of target of raucous attitudes being like, oh, well, the Beatles made this, but Skrillex can make this, you know? It was very, like... (laughs) (laughs) It it was very uh, uh, genre classist, if if that's a way to put it. People did not like it.
2: I don't think that dubstep has ever been made to be particularly approachable. Mm -hmm. It definitely was seeking an audience through transgression at the time, but that style of drop, I think became so heavily repeated that, I don't know, I listen to something like that and I don't even find it surprising anymore. It's just sort of silly exactly. and fun. It became a kind of cliche.
1: Right. I love it because it sounds different than other things I've heard. And that's kind of why I come back to 100 X at Large, I think. It sounds different from a lot of the other music that I'm hearing and a lot of the other sounds that people are pulling from. They tend to grab inspiration from genres that have been historically derided in the popular music canon. There's doom metal, there's, you know, 150 BPM Eurodance, like they're here to mash them all. And on 10,000 Gex, there's a rock tune that they've released as a single called Doritos and Fritos that has this tone to it that speaks to underground primus core rock music let's take a listen <laughs>
3: okay, I went to
2: This is a weird reference for me. Very fun. I love Primus. I listened to a lot of them growing up. And they're, they're a bizarre reference because, A, Primus is probably the strangest band to have ever been created. A, like, <laughs> hybrid of funk, metal, Tom Waits circus music.
1: Like free jazz.
2: Yeah. I don't think they had a single Hot 100 hit, but people might know a song like Jerry was a race car driver if they played Tony Hawk growing up.
0: <laughs>
2: they were definitely an alternative, alternative, alternative band that had more success than anything so strange ever deserves, and I feel like 100 Gex is maybe in that lineage. When I mean, they're talking about Fritos and Doritos, Primus had, you know, albums like Sailing the Seas of Cheese and Pork Soda is maybe a good <laughs> yeah. reference. So uh, what a fun uh, connection to be making back to Primus. I hope that they have uh, yet another coming.
1: The Primus career resurgence is here. I hope this
2: turns on more people into Primus. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, let's take a look at Doritos and Fritos. And the song starts off with the harmonics guitar.
2: You know, as much as this reminds me of Primus, it's also totally 100 GEX because it does sound like contemporary music. The guitar sounds, I'm assuming, are sampled. It feels like they just grabbed 50 different distorted harmonics of the guitar ran them through a sampler, and then found a total strange assortment of those sounds, ordered them together with MIDI, and (laughs) played them back through the computer. Like, I don't think I could play that riff on the guitar. It's too strange. A guitarist would never make that as their default thing.
1: It is analog playing, for the record. But I, I do think that it is ordered and structured in such a way that is difficult To play. It's the analog made so digital.
2: Well, that's fascinating because it definitely has the sensibility of someone who has spent their entire musical life grabbing and chopping up samples and putting them in unique and uh, surprising orders, kind of like a dubstep drop.
1: No, yeah. And the lyrics, similar to the harmonics guitar, they sound wrong and abrasive. And like you said, they're kind of just like nonsense, right? where your reference is Primus, mine is the band Ween, where they kind of take (laughs) this genre jumping irreverence and put it in all of their songs, which are also really, really good pop songs. So yeah, that's a song aptly named Bananas and Blow.
2: Sounds like if the writer Hunter S. Thompson became a lyricist. <laughs> what mindset do we have to be in to want to really dive into this level of bizarro music? Is this just where you're at, like, 24-7, Rihanna? Like, what do I need to put myself in the mindset?
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I could say on a podcast, Charlie. My mom listens to this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's nonsense. I mean, like I said, a lot of primus in my youth, but I don't think it had to do with anything other than maybe sometimes wanting to get into the place of feeling like my brain is as scrambled as it is and that's okay.
1: Yes. I personally really enjoy listening to things I've never heard before. That's sort of what I pursue when it comes to music. I like things that like, in the case of Gex have these pop sensibilities where I could listen to it and latch onto these melodies and these rhythms. But at large, it is confusing and it's different and it's new to me. Like I I play Gex in front of like other people, right? Like my partner. And my partner is like, I don't like this. It's confusing. I like predicting where (laughs) songs will go, which is a totally valid reaction. And I kind of skew towards the opposite, where like I listen to Ween, I listen to Primus, I listen to 100x. I listen to these acts that kind of subvert what you think a song should be or what the listener thinks a song should be. You know, they kind of skew that and, and like flip it on its head. And that is sort of the inherent beauty in what they're accessing.
2: The 100 gecks might just sneak into your mind, even if your first reaction is, I don't like it, because as you established, like, pop hooks, right, pop song forms. In fact, lots of familiar instrumentation just done often in ways that are uh, not particularly comfortable. I mean, even we haven't talked about the vocal, right? These are very mm-hmm. unnatural voices, and the formants of the voice are shifted all over the place as well, which makes the voices somewhat alien Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
2: hard to create associations with right it's definitely a bit out there and very in at the same time
1: exactly and that sort of distortion is present throughout the entirety of doritos and fritos even when the hook switches to twangy ska guitar (laughs) So in that hook, you know, it's it's melodic and we have this guitar in there, which is so different in direct contrast with the abrasive harmonics that we're getting in the rest of the song. But the ska guitar even in and of itself is abrasive on its own, you know, like all of these disparate parts are together, but they all kind of sound the same, which is it's a fascinating way to, to go about constructing a song.
2: Which is why I said earlier, I feel like the sound of 100 gex is the sound of the internet. It is how we consume media now. And so it feels very appropriate for a song to take us from place to place to place to place. Maybe the better metaphor is like a TikTok feed, right? When you're scrolling through right. that, you're going to jump from song to song to song to song in a 15-second you know clip or shorter. And so aren't we actually perhaps ready for 100 Gex, isn't this music the most appropriate music for the moment?
1: My thesis about Gex and why they're so popular is a sort of similar perspective to what you think, Charlie. It's the things that they love and the things that they put in their music, because what 100 Gex music is to me is a rejection of a sort of algorithmic blandness that's come to affect, you know, lots of things, nearly everything we love in recent years. Laura and Dylan seem to represent a love of a mishmash aesthetic that has been synonymous with a more Gen Z or or Zillennial ethos. There's been all these articles from outlets like, you know, The Cut and The Ringer over the past 5 years that have detailed the phenomenon of something called millennial blandness or millennial gray. Hmm. The idea that the aesthetic ideal is something that is clean and minimalist, easy, simple to parse, where you can look at it or, or understand it immediately, doesn't really take much thought, it looks cleaner and it looks nicer. In contrast, the things that younger people have gravitated to in recent years are things like clutter core and something called core core, both things recently detailed as things that are messy and all over the place and celebrated because they are such. Core Core specifically is noted in Time magazine as featuring, quote, seemingly random clips edited together at various speeds, unquote. (laughs) And to rope in my film education, right, like this creates a sort of Kuleshov effect where you put all of these disparate clips next to each other and synthesize new meaning out of it. Bringing it back to Gex, the way that they take all of these influences and smash them next to each other, it reflects a sort of messiness and the challenging nature of a Gen Z aesthetic, which is why they can connect to young listeners while, of course, being both in their late 20s themselves.
2: I'm afraid I probably represent more of the bland than the core core. I'm going to have to go (laughs) do some deep reflection listen to a lot more Primus get back to my roots
1: so true well I had a lot of questions about the ethos of Gex at large and new metal and noise pop and how they see their own work in the context of the new album so while you go listen to Primus Charlie in the back half of the episode I'm going to talk to none other than Laura Les and Dylan Brady of 100 Gex
0: Built to be accessible, empowering, and community-building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com.
1: So as I said before the break... To define the sound of 100 Gex is to put into words something so intangible. I decided the best way to understand their music is to talk to the artists themselves.
4: Hello, I'm Dylan Brady.
3: Hello, I'm Laura Les and we are 100- 100 Gex. 100 Gex.
1: <laughs> I started by asking them a simple question how would they describe their sound in their own words? And admittedly, the answer I got from them was a little bit reductive of their own work. Average pop.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Middle of the road pop.
3: Totally normal, two totally chill and normal people making totally chill and normal (laughs) music. We're chill. It's got a verse, it's got a chorus, you know? It's all you need. Easy peasy.
4: Sometimes you got two verses.
1: If you're lucky. So to Dylan and Laura, their music is pretty standard, but a lot of people have said that the music of 100 Gex is baffling or challenging to listen to, so I asked them what their reaction usually is to those complaints. Oh, yeah. I think that's just a nice way of saying they don't like it.
3: (laughs) 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 When somebody says something's challenging to listen to. (laughs) My favorite songs, not challenging at all, super easy to listen to my favorite music. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> they're my favorites i love them
3: <laughs> i don't know i mean you need to listen to more nightcore you need to listen to more bad music <laughs> 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 i'm listening to bad music all the time that's challenging <laughs>
1: And the duo has frequently talked about their love of music that is supposedly, quote unquote, bad. There's a quote from Dylan in their New York Times interview that says, people have been telling me that Scott is bad my whole life.
4: Oh, yeah. People hate Scott.
1: Is that something that factors into how you guys perceive your own
4: music? I mean, I think it's good either way, you know, like, I've been listening to it since I was, like, 14, so just kind of have to deal with that.
3: I don't understand sky Hate. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, why? The hatred. I can understand, like, not liking a band or, like, oh, yeah. yeah, I think, I don't like the singer of this, but, like, just not liking the vibe wholesale is very odd to me.
4: I feel like it's kind of like the Nickelback thing where it's, like, people <laughs> might not even mean it, in you know?
1: It's, like, at this point, it's, like, become a meme in and of itself that's, like, Ska sucks, and it's, like...
4: Get this pickle more likes than the Nickelback Facebook page. (laughs) Yeah, people love hating on shit.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, usually, in in everything that you say you wholesale hate, you can find one thing that you like.
4: People did the same thing to dubstep, too.
3: I can understand if people are, like, on average, I don't like dubstep. But, like, when people get, like, charged up
1: about it, I'm, like, they don't like to have fun.
4: I love having fun.
1: So, as we talked about earlier this episode, the new record has a lot of new metal, a lot of butt rock inspiration, I guess you could call it. So, I wanted to know what they were listening to and pulling from when they made 10,000 gecks. Chocolate Starfish. A quick aside, Laura, of course, is talking about Limp Bizkit's 2000 record, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Water, which is one of the biggest records of the new metal genre. Go ahead. gorillas
4: primus
3: primus
1: future <laughs> what future songs were you, were you pulling from
3: well a, a few but just uh, you know for the the real pop heads in the crowd i realized that future actually on spotify has this song called i've been Drinking.
4: No baby all i know is i won't judge
3: it's like his basically his version of "Drunken love and uh, tipsy by Jay Kwan. Summer Love by Justin Timberlake. Added Up by Violent Femmes. Woo, talk about a pop banger. Yeah. Dylan's listening to quintet music. Crooners. We've been planning on a, a vocal doo-wop song for a while. We just never get around to it.
1: Clearly, these influences are all over the place. Their debut record, A Thousand Gex, was very similarly all over the place. I asked them if these influences were different or if they were of a similar ethos.
4: I think it's similar ethos, maybe, but I think we were just, like, listening to different shit. So we weren't, yeah.
3: like, curating the palette or anything. Yeah, we were yeah. just, like, it's just what we were listening to. Just, like, after a while, after A uh, Thousand Gex, just got kind of sick of listening to a lot of the same shit and wanted some new new energy. So I was just listening to different shit.
1: Of course, that difference is what takes 10,000 gecks up a notch from the DIY digital production of the duo's debut. So looking at the record itself, the album starts off with Dumbest Girl Alive, and it starts off with what I assume to be the THX sound.
4: Official sound from the horse's mouth.
3: Officially cleared. You want to talk about some fucking industry machinery? Talk about
1: getting the THX sound cleared. (laughs) And sent to you.
4: The uncompressed file.
1: That sound is the trademark of the quality assurance system THX. You've heard it in movie theaters before the movie starts. You've heard it on DVDs. It's a sampled glissando that is popularly known as the Deep Note.
4: It's the real original one, not a remake, not an edited, not pitched.
1: We wanted the one. What, what was your connection? Like, why did you want that sound specifically?
4: We were trying to figure out how to start that song and. We had something but then we tried this and it's like if we do this it's like a tone setter vibe
3: yeah we knew that that would be the first song of the album like we were like okay something is going to be the very first sound that somebody hears on the album yeah we were like that's obviously how you start it
4: i've loved that sound for so long
3: it's it's huge and it's
4: It's such a beautiful piece it's
3: beautiful and
4: it's terrifying But also was made with one cello sample and a guy with a computer in seven days.
1: Whoa. Yeah. I didn't know that.
4: They were like, we need a sound for this um, new audio system we got. He's like, I got you. Deep
3: note. Want to talk about PC music? One cello sample. One cello
1: sample and a computer, baby.
4: We
3: love sampling. We love sampling.
1: Did you guys sample anything else on the record other than THX?
4: Yes. We sampled Scary Movie...
1: Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to run, right? <laughs> okay, I'm ready!
4: We sampled uh, Insane in the Membrane.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: We sampled the Slang Tang Rhythm. We sampled other things that I can't say because we mm-hmm. didn't disclose them to the label. <laughs> Sampling is so fun and beautiful.
1: <laughs> what did you use um, Insane in the Membrane on?
4: Uh, Most Wanted Person has Insane in the Membrane, Scary Movie, and The Slime rhythm.
3: <laughs> 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 okay.
4: We also sampled a frog, but we didn't have to clear it.
1: Was it just a random frog?
4: Yeah, we found it in a uh, bog. Frog on the floor where it come from. Mm-hmm. We were in a bog searching for samples. We had the big fluffy microphone and the headphones on.
3: Mm-hmm. We were we were definitely the, the the most dressed there. All the frogs were naked, so it was yeah. a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> a little bog sesh.
1: <laughs> Aside from the sampling, the record seems to be dabbling a lot in analog playing. I was wondering how Dylan and Laura program their guitar parts, figure out what's going on the track. And if they actually sat down and played those guitar riffs. Yeah, yeah, all the guitar is played. I don't know, Dylan, how do you write a guitar riff?
3: Get your sixth string out, put it on your lap, find something that feels good. I think it's awesome how much you ended up playing guitar on the album, because I just remember, like, way back when, you being like, so how do you play guitar? (laughs) (laughs) And now you're playing it, like, all over the album. Most of the guitar on the album is Dylan, which is awesome.
4: I'm a late bloomer in the guitar world.
3: Yeah, actually, I guess that's an f- essential context for <laughs> for that to make
1: sense, why that's cool.
4: I started late in the game. But uh, we did get uh, Josh Fries on the drums. Mm-hmm.
1: Josh Fries, of course, is a legendary session drummer who is a member of the Vandals and Devo, And in his session work, he's collaborated with everyone from Nine Inch Nails and Weezer to Ween and Miley Cyrus. He can honestly represent the varied references that Gex embody in their work.
4: Josh is an insane talent, a machine.
3: Extremely good at what he does.
1: In the first half of the episode, we talked about the Gex song, Doritos and Fritos. It's one of the more eclectic songs on the record. So I asked them how they approach writing that when it's a sort of hodgepodge of all these ideas and lyrics. One of the internet things that we did,
3: the internet like shows or whatever, we were like making songs for it or something. And then. I was renting this place and dylan was over and then he was like oh i have this riff that i want to show you or whatever and played like the main bass and guitar like parts for doritos and fritos with pretty much the drum beat as it is now That's definitely an album song. Like, we have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It was hard thinking of what to do on the hook there. I was doing an all-nighter, and uh, I was like, God damn, gotta think of something, like, for a hook. So laid down a bass part that I thought could be complementary to the, the main part. And then did, like, a million different ideas to try to find something that fit good.
4: Incredible bass line on that chorus.
3: Thank you.
0: Do-do-do-do-do.
4: That was before, the, I think the guitar riff was before the bass line, but I don't know, I was just trying to do some fucking Van halen type shit.
3: You have the evil version of Doritos with a different bass line oh, yeah. that sounds like nothing. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. pure chaos.
4: Yeah, there's like a version where it's just a total atonal version of that song. Mm-hmm. But um, I like how the one <laughs> turned out.
3: Was- I think it's just like four four tracks, right? It's four tracks. And then four tracks
4: just, of harmonics yeah
3: just it, if you listen to one single track it's just like do do, 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 do yeah. boom like it works together in beautiful harmony kind of
4: inspired by the uh, chattahoochee drums a bit too Alan jackson beat
3: talk about a pop classic
4: yeah <laughs> great beat
1: as we've talked about all episode doritos and fritos is a very eclectic song however other songs on the album are much more palatable looking at a track like 757 i wanted to know if they were approaching these types of songs differently i
4: think we're just trying to write a different kind of tune
3: we said okay. I, we did say early on that we wanted something that you could play in your backyard while you're grilling. Yeah. <laughs> so that that m- that medium inspired a couple a couple songs, but
4: <laughs> like no bummer vibes.
3: Yeah, no, bu- no bummer vibes, and some some things that you could you could hang out and listen to.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Trying to make the more brew crackable music as
1: possible. Brew crackable music. That's a great term. Brew crackable music, baby. So, by that extension, like, there's a lot of ska on the album. Is ska brew cracking music? Oh, it's made to crack brews too. Thousand percent.
4: Critical listening only.
1: It's going to be an out there metaphor, but I feel like your music reminds me a lot of those anti piracy ads that are like, you know, like you wouldn't steal a car, that sort of thing. Our music is just a one big long pro
3: piracy ad. <laughs> <laughs> except for our music you should buy it
1: <laughs> stream it on your xbox <laughs> That like over the top excess there's like a deep seriousness to it and i think for some that can come across as like an ironic appreciation for these like things that you're pulling from and you know like maybe for your music itself how do you respond to people that are like your music is just, like, kind of, like, ironic, committing to a bit type stuff. Do you feel a certain type of way about that?
4: I feel like we've been addressing that, like, Yeah. since the first album came out. Like, we're not going to fucking convince anyone at this point that we're... Yeah. We actually like the music that we're making, it seems...
3: <laughs> I feel like I understand that sentiment. Like... Sure. We understand that people do think that dubstep is funny. Like, we get yeah. that. We're not being sincere, like without the knowledge that people could take it as a joke you know what i mean like we get it Mm -hmm. we we understand but it's like we're not gonna make music that we think is bad like there's things that are like slightly tongue-in-cheek i guess but we just like it like okay like new metal like yeah there's things that are funny about new metal for sure yeah but like people whose whole thing is new metal think the exact same thing yeah there's no way that fred durst doesn't understand the tongue-in-cheekness of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever people think of him, he probably fucking understands.
1: Did you listen to the last limp Bizkit record? It's called Still Sucks. Like he clearly is like in on Yeah exactly. Yeah. He's like he's like,
3: I'm your fucking dad.
0: <laughs> Check out your dad with the swag on the floor. Mama brag when I woke in the door. Ain't never seen a
3: Yeah, like exactly. Fourth song is called Turn It Up, bitch. Don't tell me Fred Durst doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He understands yeah. the vibe, but he's not being ironic. He likes, I mean, I can't imagine that that anyone in Limp Bizkit doesn't like the music that they're making. It's kind of a thing where it's like you either get it or you don't, you know? You either, totally you can think it's ironic or whatever, but like. Yeah,
4: I don't think we're going to change those people's mind. At-
3: it's tongue tongue in cheek at, at worst. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you guys for talking to me. I appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having us. Yeah, that was really fun.
1: Over the years, I've come to realize that 100 Gex have left a profound impact on me and the way I perceive music. Their new album, 10,000 Gex, is out now. And we want to know what you're hearing at it since release. There's a lot going on. Want to know your thoughts. So hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at SwitchedOnPop. And you can find this on our website at SwitchedOnPop.com. Switched on Pop is produced by myself, Rihanna Cruz, edited by Art Chung, engineered by Brandon McFarland, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, community management by Abby Barr. Our executive producers are Hannah Rosen and Nishat Kirwa. We're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. We'll be back next Tuesday. And until then, thanks for listening.
0: Why do you run?